1: You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life.
0: Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. Now, before I begin with this uh, final uh, series of Ask Buck, I have to tell you, if you have not done so, check out wealthformula.com. Sign up for one of our email lists. Sign up for Investor Club. You've heard lots of reasons through these Ask Buck shows why that that will make sense if you are an accredited investor. And the other thing to consider is to join Wealth Formula Network so that you can have these conversations live with me and the rest of the folks in Wealth Formula Network and also get some additional training through our course. You can go check that out at wealthformularoadmap.com. And when we come back, we are going to go to part three, or sort of the third and final Ask Buck round for the last, I would say the last three or four months of questions that have been sitting around. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. All right. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, let me get started. Let me not waste any more time and get uh, through these final questions because I think uh, I want to make sure that we've got a fresh plate. So that the next time we do ask Buck, I'm not like three, four, five, six months behind. Okay. So the first question we have is a recorded question from Iliana, And here we go. Hi, Buck. I would like to know what you think about buying gold and silver as part of adding that to one's um, portfolio. Thank you. Okay. Well, Iliana, thank you for the question. Bottom line is I am not a gold bug or a silver bug or precious metals guy. I'm just not. Uh, now gold bugs become very upset with me when I say this. Um, and, but let me just say this. I don't, I understand why they're doing it. Um, I just, I don't see the, you know, personally, I don't see the value after what I've, kind of understand. And and so it doesn't really belong in my portfolio. But listen, guys, I have a lot of respect for like Robert Kiyosaki will be on the show. Uh, he's gonna be on the show in, in a few weeks here. Um, you know, it was a huge gold bug and I have nothing but utter respect for him. And he could be completely right. It could be missing something. But here's the thing. This is how I think about it. Most people own gold as a hedge against inflation. Right? If you ask them, that's their main reason. It is, you know, gold is like the anti dollar. Gold holds its value, uh, you know, over time. An ounce of gold bought you a toga and slippers in the times of Christ, and now it'll buy you a nice suit, pair of shoes, or, you know, a nice dress, I guess, if, if that's what you prefer. But if you are buying gold as a hedge to inflation, then my question to you is that. Isn't any real asset a hedge to the dollar? I mean, what happens to rent during inflation, right? Say you own some apartment building and uh, there's inflation. What happens? Well, rent goes up, doesn't it? So wouldn't owning multifamily real estate also be a hedge against inflation? I mean, your cash flow goes up, the property, and therefore the value of your property goes up and, um, you know. Here's the other thing about uh, real estate during inflation that you don't get with gold. Since most real estate is acquired with debt in the form of a mortgage, the debt that you have becomes washed away. Now, that's a really important point. So think about this. If you borrow a million dollars today and you have that as a mortgage with inflation that million dollars will have less buying power in 10 years so essentially inflation is destroying your debt right so this is a really important point and one that uh, you have to think about in the macro uh, economic sense as well is why we we know that this trend will invariably you know continue inflation that is um So, for example, think about the government. I mean, why do you think that the Fed wants inflation? That's one of its mandates to have inflation, and it's scared to death of deflation. Well, because without inflation, we couldn't pay our sovereign debt, right? We would default on debt, right? So we need inflation to make up for sluggish GDP so we can keep taxing people more money, um, you know, more dollars, Uh, than is needed to pay our bills. Right. So it's sort of inflation in that regard is sort of a um, it's a it's a silent tax, one that you don't see. So when you own real estate, you're basically doing kind of what the Fed, what the government's doing. You're not only getting the hedge on inflation like you do in gold, but your debt is being washed away by inflation simultaneously. And don't forget, the real estate is also incredibly tax efficient, while gold tax laws on sales, et cetera, are downright punitive, all right? So anyway, I'm not in the business of giving financial advice, but that's why I don't own precious metals. Uh, I'm not a big fan. I have yet to have someone explain um, why you know I, I should buy precious metals based on what I'm saying now, but I have not found it. Um, you know, and, and if you think about it, this is kind of what a lot of the countries, um, you know, these countries that are trying to, uh, you know, get money off of, uh, get, out, get money out of China, for example, et cetera, they're just going in buying like 25, 30, $40 million apartment buildings. They're just buying them in cash. So effectively, all they're doing is they are buying a $40 million piece of gold, right? That's what they're doing when that happens to cash flow. All right. Well, anyway, again, I don't uh, please don't send me heat mail about gold. We've had this discussion several times. I've had several people on the show about uh, gold. So um, we just we if if you are a big time gold bug, we can agree to disagree. The key thing is that you think about it and you come up uh, with an opinion um, for yourself. All right. Next question is from Brandon.
1: Hello Buck, this is Brandon Kemp in Portland, Oregon. Uh, number one, love the show. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts of the dozen plus that I, I follow routinely in the real estate space. So thanks for every, all that valuable content that you put out there for us. Um, you know, listening to your Ask Buck segments, which are dynamite by the way, made me start to think a little bit more about some topics I'd personally like to dive into a little deeper And I was listening to a Whitney Sewell podcast this morning where they were touching on uh, capitalization rates, obviously at the entry. But I'd love to learn more about how one targets a future exit cap rate and how different market conditions can uh, affect the cap rate out of our control, in our control, um, and how NLI ties all into that. I think a deep dive into just that could be a whole show segment, in my opinion. Thanks again, Buck. Look forward to your next episode.
0: Well Brandon, thanks for the kind words and for the question uh, for the uh, uh, experience and so that everybody knows what we're talking about. let's talk about what a cap rate is. A cap rate is of course simply the net income of the property uh, divided by the purchase price of that property, assuming that there's, that there's no leverage that is that there's no mortgage. And that gives you sort of this baseline yield or capitalization rate. That's what people call cap rates. Now, cap rates are dynamic, right? They're based in market, uh, what the market is. And they're different for different markets. They're different based on interest rates. Um, They don't tend to change particularly rapidly. They also tend to get lower uh, with lower interest rates. Why? Well, let's think about that. So leverage only helps you if the interest rate of a mortgage is less than the cap rate, right? Again, let me say that again. Leverage only helps you. Mortgages only help you if your interest rate is less than the cap rate. Because if that happens, if your, uh, if your interest rate is less than your cap rate, you're going to magnify your gains. On the other hand, if your interest rate is greater than your cap rate, then you are going to magnify your losses, and that is not advisable. So cap rates are somewhat limited in that regard by markets, depending on what the mortgage interest rates are. So with regard to coming in and examining cap rates when you're looking at a deal, say you're a passive investor, limited partner, it's become increasingly difficult, particularly in, in an environment of compressed cap rates. But it, you know the thing is, an incoming cap rate is less important for kind of what we do, specifically in an investor club, which is value-add real estate. It's less important because what we're really trying to do there is seeing how much we can get the value of the property to by increasing rents and decreasing expenses. And in that regard, the value add delta is really, really the most important aspect of it. Obviously, buying something at a you know better cap rate is going to uh, give you a better profit margin. But I'm just telling you this because this is something that is pretty critical. Value add real estate, the cap rate becomes a little bit more subjective on what you're willing to accept on the incoming side, right? Because what we're trying to do in value add real estate, once again, is to crank up net operating income and dynamically increase cap rates, right? Dynamically increase the yield. Uh, As for exit cap rates, right? The cap rate that in a pro forma, uh, you know, you might see uh, somebody saying, well, this is the cap rate we're thinking we're gonna sell it at. Well, they're really only important if you wanna sell your property first first of all right if you're cash flowing and the market cap rates become uh decompressed in other words you know you could sell your property but it you won't get as much money to a point where you're not happy with the profit then the fact that you've cranked up your net operating income and you're getting this cash flow on it well just keep your cash flow the stuff that you earn through your value add program right um And the the thing about it is when you're talking about evaluating exit cap rates, what I will say is that no one can really predict cap rates, right? You really can't. Um, Five years ago, people said they couldn't go lower. Guess what? They went lower. Why? Because interest rates have gone lower. And again, that's why cap rates have gone lower. So right now, let me ask you this. Do you think it's more likely that we have higher or lower interest rates over the next couple of years? Well, to me, uh, they're they're not getting any higher in the next couple of years, that's for sure, right? Um, In fact, the real question right now is whether or not we're gonna go to negative rates. Um, And so the Fed, there's no way the Fed is gonna raise interest rates right now. So based on that, you could see actually some potential to again, some further compression in already historically low cap rates. Now, as for the pro formas on the exit cap rates, here's the thing. Most syndicators, reasonable ones, are going to assume an exit cap that's similar to the one going in, which I think is acceptable because they're just not trying to predict the future. Um, there are some syndicators and some in our group, which if you, if you are part of Investor Club, you've seen, where we'll give you a range of exit caps that are based on maybe what you know historical decompressions, et cetera. Now that that again, even though you're getting those, you still gotta take them with a grain of salt because who knows, right? The only thing to be really weary of, in my opinion, when it comes to an exit cap rate, is one that is projected, you know, purposely lower than the entry cap rate. Because even though somebody might believe that, in that case, the operator is really trying to push up their numbers and might be uh taking that pro forma. And as they say, putting lipstick uh, on a pig, which I have seen uh, as well. Okay, next question. Um, okay, next question from uh, Ethan. The question is, uh, well, and this one's obviously old. Bernie Sanders has been discussing federal rent control and combating gentrification and speculation. Could you discuss the implications of this and this for investments such as Western wealth? Uh, thanks. So yeah, so again, Ethan's referring to one of our partners in Investor Club where there's a big value add business model. They've been, they've been extremely successful, 30% annualized returns on average out of 32 divestments. Um, just a really solid group. We're doing really well even through this uh, crazy COVID-19 um, uh, pandemic. But um, here's the thing. So their model is based on this whole value add thing, creating value, net operating income And so Ethan, your question is a good one. If, if all of a sudden the federal government said, okay, well, you know what? We're going to, um, we're not going to allow you to raise rents anymore. How much of a problem is that going to be? Well, obviously it would be a huge problem, right? It would be a huge problem, but, uh, Fortunately, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders is out of the race, and I don't think anybody in their right mind on the federal level would do that because I think what it would lead to uh, is you know not only a huge um, uh, crush of 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 real estate markets and significant uh, problems for the economy, but also what ends up happening is that you know listen, what drives a real estate entrepreneur to improve a community? It's the ability to increase the value of a property. So you know, could they have certain sections that are maybe more rent controlled? Well, you already see that in in California and New York, et cetera. Uh, certainly a possibility, but I, I, I have a really hard time uh, seeing this as a uh, something that we need to worry about in the near future. Unfortunately, I don't think unfortunately, uh, Bernie Sanders is out of the race now anyway. And uh, if if it's a Biden presidency, there's no way he's just too uh, he's too much of a uh, moderate to do anything crazy like that. Um, by the way, uh, this is the reason why uh, you know rent control issues and state government laws and things like that are one of the reasons we never do uh, in Investor Club or personally, just myself, I never invest in real estate in California or New York or any of those states that are you know. Uh, frankly, they're, they're, you know, it's not nothing to do with the politics other than that they're not landlord friendly or business friendly. Um, and so we try to stay away from those and we stick to places like Texas and Arizona and, you know, places that, that are business friendly and that these kinds of things would be, you know, virtually impossible uh, unless there was a wholesale change in the population. So. Next question: How is return of investment treated for tax purposes versus return on investment? That question is from Ravindra. Ravindra, um, the the question actually it's it's a pretty simple one to answer. It's um, the return of investment is not tax. So um, you know if you're if you have some sort of a refinancing event uh, that that's your money. You're not going to get taxed in it. So we, we brought up Western Wealth Capital a couple times. So in our syndication model, there is, um, you know, income from cash flow uh, that is sheltered by depreciation. Uh, and then, you know, you have these refis average around 18 months for full capital return. And in those situations, um, that money is coming back to you again in the form of tax-free uh, money. Now, the tax you do pay, typically is, again, long-term capital gains, Um, you know, if you're a limited partner, and again, you may have some depreciation recapture. Uh, But again, of course, as we've discussed previously, if you use the whole golden hamster technique and you reinvest those into more property and you get more depreciation to offset uh, those gains, then you may end up not ending up paying taxes even on exit. That, of course, is what we call the golden hamster wheel, which I would refer you to multiple other episodes of Ask Buck if you don't know what that is. All right. Let's see. Okay. The next uh, recording here is from Brett. Hi, Buck. This is Brent calling from Israel. I listen to many financial and investing podcasts, and I've learned from each one of them. There's only one podcast that having listened to it resulted in literally thousands of extra dollars in my pocket. Through Wealth Formula and Wealth Formula Network, you introduced me to American Homeowner Preservation as well as syndication opportunities that you have vetted. I followed your lead, invested, and I'm making good money and increasing my velocity to grow my wealth even more. Thanks, Buck. I'll continue listening each and every week. That's very kind of you, Brent. Uh, appreciate that, especially coming from uh, Israel. We it's so interesting. We have a lot of uh, a lot of people you know, throughout the world who listen to this. So we have a number of people in Israel and we come to a wealth formula meetup, which hopefully we'll have again one day when there's herd immunity, you'll see we have, we had people from, I think it was like Australia and we had a bunch a couple of people from Israel. Pretty neat. Anyway, it's good. Uh, good to hear that. It's helpful to you. Uh, again, uh, Brent is referring to a couple of things. He's referring to our investor club, which you can sign up if you're an accredited investor at wealth, uh, wealthformula.com. And he's also referring to the online community, uh, Wealth Formula Network, which we've discussed uh, before. This is the uh, place where, you know, if, if your friends, family, and neighbors don't want to talk about the stuff we talk about, you can join this community called Wealth Formula Network. It starts with a course uh, with a bunch of really smart people to get the basics down, and then you're part of a Uh, online community, as well as a community that does a biweekly Zoom uh, teleconference call, video conference call, I should say. And by now everybody knows Zoom, so that should be pretty obvious. Uh, You can check that community out, that whole thing, if you're interested at wealthformularoadmap.com. Thanks again, Brent. Okay. Next question is from Cindy. The question is, Uh, Hi, Buck. I've been listening to your podcast for a while. Got a rookie investor question for you though. What is the difference between a REIT and a syndication such as one with Western Wealth Capital? Uh, Both focus on real estate operation. Investors in both don't have control over the business and give their full trust to the operators. Both REIT and syndication offer some dividends. Value of REITs go up too, although it may not go up as much as exits strategies in the syndication, but seem more liquid as it's publicly traded. I'm assuming we don't get bonus depreciation for REITs as we do in real estate syndications. Although if we are not real estate professionals, we can't use the bonus depreciation anyways. Thanks in advance. Well, first of all, that's not true. You can use the bonus depreciation uh, against any other passive income. The key is building up passive income, right? So uh, that's not that's not true. We have a number of people in our group who've, you know, created enormous passive income uh um flows that are offsetting with bonus depreciation. One thing that I have seen on multiple occasions is uh, you know, doctors who have either surgery centers, uh, infusion centers, uh, uh nephrology Type in you know uh, uh, dialysis centers et cetera, They're passive income, and uh, these losses can be you know can potentially offset income from that. So that that's actually not true. You can you can get a tremendous benefit from that. But otherwise, listen, it was a good question. Um, uh, you know, investing in REITs is essentially investing in a big clunky Wall Street fund, right? As you mentioned, there are some tax benefits, uh, and you have liquidity. Um, but you know, these REITs aren't going to squeeze, uh, nearly as much a profit out of these, uh, of, of their, um, real estate as you get in these sort of more private syndications, right? And you're not going to be doing some of these things that are really investor friendly, like bonus depreciation, etc. Um, REITs also tend to only invest in stabilized assets, right? Um, they're not really in the business of value add. They're not nimble. They don't, that they're they're just there to provide, you know, modest returns to investors. So they're not going to get into value add. So that creates some level of stability, but it makes returns pretty flimsy, right? So four or five percent return in a multifamily REIT, it's it's actually probably pretty good. Whereas in a syndication, uh, as you know, we generally look for annualized re- returns targeting twenty percent or higher. So. In general, I will just say this: that I don't think that the, you know, that that REITs are evil, and I think the underlying assets are obviously good ones. But I don't like funds uh, in general for real estate because of an inefficient use of capital. Imagine that: like you have to wait for money to come in before you can deploy it, right? So I don't like that anyway. I like asset-specific syndications where things are really lean. Um. You know, whereas in a fund, until the money is put to work, it just sits there lazy, not making any money, right? So now put, uh, now put this kind of lazy money into the hands of a big, you know, Wall Street fund that makes money based on assets under management. Well, it's a completely different paradigm. It's a completely different investment strategy than the types of syndications that we do uh, in, you know, in, in in things like Investor Club, where we're doing private placements. Now, there is one thing I do like about REITs, though. Uh, I like to sell REITs property, okay? That's what I really like to do. So an ideal situation might be where you get a portfolio of eight to 10 buildings in an area, Um, say it's in Phoenix or maybe they're all in Dallas, Uh, and if you sold them individually, maybe you'd be selling them at a cap rate of five and a half or six, but because it's a REIT you will get a premium for selling them all of those buildings at once you might be able to uh sell it for a cap rate of 4 why because they don't want value add real estate they want property that's already stabilized uh and they you know they don't want a lot of problems so in order for those conveniences and for the convenience of picking up you know if they want to get into a new market they pick up 2000 doors at once by buying your portfolio of you know 10 apartment buildings they're willing to pay a premium and they always do because they don't need big yields in return so that's one of the strategies actually that we use in our group is is you know we try to we locate, we buy a bunch of properties in any given area. And then when we sell them, we don't sell them one at a time. A lot of times we'll sell them in a group of you know, five or 10 at a time and investors benefit from that. Anyway, that's the um, that's the long and the short of it. I think REIT's a completely different animal. Uh, it's not something that I would use necessarily uh, as, as a way to create wealth, maybe to help maintain, you know, preserve wealth over a period of time. Maybe it makes sense, but That's about it. Okay, let's see. We have one more recording. Hey, Buck, this is Ryan. I just wanted to thank you for uh, all your help and congratulations on 200 episodes. I saw you first or heard you first as a guest on another podcast, started listening to your podcast, uh, then became a member of Investor Club. And after that, Wealth Formula Network and and the Wealth Formula Roadmap. Uh, started going to the meetups. Then also, I've always found your content to be valuable, relevant to me, insightful, and now finding that the quality of the group, the network is very high. So uh, thanks for all that you've done over the last couple of years. Congratulations on 200 episodes and I look forward to more. Thanks. Ryan, again, that was really nice of you to leave that uh, positive uh, affirmation for me. It is good to hear, and I do think that we've created a a tremendous community. That's it for my uh, question-answer session here. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that series of Ask Buck. We are now officially caught up. If I, for some reason, omitted your question, I apologize. I either lost it or it was something that maybe i couldn't necessarily address uh on the podcast per se but uh i love it when you guys ask these questions go ahead and start piling them in again on the ask buck you go to wealthformula.com and you, you know i prefer the the recorded ones because it makes you kind of you know makes it more real but you know if if, if you don't like that you can certainly send uh, send emails over with your questions or comments as well uh, the last one was a comment from Ryan, of course. Ryan is a member of uh, Investor Club, which, again, we've, we've referenced several times. It's where the magic happens. You can sign up for that at WealthFormula.com. The other thing, again, I'm just going to hit home again because people who like these types of forums, you would love Wealth Formula Network. If you're interested in taking your knowledge to the next level, having an online community, talking you know, uh, to people biweekly on a, a teleconference about these real issues, and bring your own issues to the table. Uh, in addition to a, a course that gives you a strong background, go check out uh, your roadmap to real wealth, uh, which is on that course is on wealthformularoadmap.com. dot com. Again, that's wealthformularoadmap.com. dot com. It's a course, but the wealth formula network is the thing that I think that you really. Uh, probably will uh, will show you it's the gift that keeps on giving. Anyway, that's it for me uh, on this episode of Ask Buck and for this series of Ask Buck on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off.
1: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact.
0: As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment see you next time buck joffrey here from Sapio with buck joffrey aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years it's already being done in lab animals so it's just a matter of time our challenge to be healthy enough for when that time comes as a former scientist and surgeon myself my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.